Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. We're back, we're back at the rest of the sermon. Welcome. Here. Welcome, we are here. I am still on YouTube. I need to zoom out and go over here. Sweet. <laughs> we are continuing into part two of our uh, sermon series through New Year, New Family from last week. Um, the part two that we have today is actually um, focusing on the home, uh, the, the values and the foundation that we build our homes on in Jesus. And we have a cool acronym that we walked through on Sunday. But um, before we get into that, I have a very, very important question. Yes, indeed. What is your favorite family sitcom? <clears throat> the favored family sitcom. I for those listening, sitcom just right. is brief for situational comedy. There's shows yeah. about nothing, which Seinfeld basically started. I would have to say growing up watching it would be growing pains. Yeah. That that's what I go back to. I mean, apart from like Full House and all of those that were on, yeah. out of all of those. I liked Growing Pains yeah. for some reason. I don't know why. Growing up, we watched, um, we bounced between the Nick at Night and watched The Wonder Years. And Absolutely. We also watched, uh, we really liked Malcolm in the Middle. But now, as an adult, Arrested Development is my favorite family yeah. sitcom thing. Super, super great. Well, we are moving back into this portion of our sermon series. If you haven't been listening with us, New Year, New Family has, I mean, we've only been in it for two weeks, but um, our brains are a little rattled uh, because we're going to be in Atlanta uh, this week with, yep. a, with a large group of our teams and leaders. And so we actually uh, recorded this coming Sunday's service last Tuesday. Yep. <laughs> so coming fresh off of a Sunday, recording on a Tuesday, and then rolling into the rest of the week with another Sunday. Um, forgive us if, if our brains are a little here. <laughs> and there or here nor there. Um, <clears throat> but if you've not been joining us, this is a really awesome launch into a new year, into a new series with um, focusing on the foundations of our families. The gospel is not just like this far off idea that we can kind of learn from and glean from in our brains, but it actually affects our everyday lives. Amen. And it affects the way that we love our wives or that we love and respect our husbands or that we nurture and foster and care and raise up our children. It is boots on the ground. And so if you're not involved or you haven't heard any of these um, sermons yet, I would encourage you go back on our Facebook page or hit up our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts catch up on the last two sermons of New Year, New Family. Yep. It's been super great. So I'm going to read from a common passage that we've been pulling from the last couple of weeks, Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to read these two verses, and then we will start talking about sitcoms. <laughs> Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14. <clears throat> now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word, or praise be to God. It's okay to say either <laughs> of those. So we talked about Bob Saget. We came, we came out of John chapter— Yeah, we did. Joshua chapter 24, um, and Bob Saget got a little bit of pulpit time this week, which said no pastor ever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you talked about his birth and then sort of his influence and in the culture and all of that, and then we kind of got into— Well, it was his death. Yeah, well, yeah. His, yeah. Yeah, that was all like in the highlight. And How many days ago what was it? Uh, January, January 9th. Yeah, yeah, he 
passed yeah. on January 9th. It was a huge upset um, in cultural community, and it was talked about. And we saw, um, not just in the LA Times, but I saw this all over Twitter. Sure. Um, people saying things like, he was my dad. He yep. raised me. Yep. Like, um, and LA Times had a had an article that you mentioned, Remembering America's Dad. Yeah, all of that language was just like, obviously being in this series was just firing yeah. off. And yeah. then when he passed, I was like, yeah. Huh. Well, talk about talk about two generations, millennials and Gen Zs, hungry for fatherhood, right? And hungry for some kind of authoritative figure to come alongside them and and to tenderly and toughly raise them and care for them. Well, think about how much culture is different now. That show was provocative because it was a single dad. Yeah. The last right. probably three to four shows that we've watched with our kids, and they ask it now or they'll tell me. Yeah. They'll go, Dad, where's the daddy? Yeah. I go, That's right, guys. Yeah. Where's the dad? Because there's never a dad. Right. And so to think that Bob Saget in the 80s, it was like, Here's a groundbreaking idea. Right. We're going to have a show about a single father. It's going to be about three men. Yeah. Dude. You couldn't have a show yeah. about th- three men yeah. helping raise kids. Are right. you kidding me? Yeah, like yeah. oh, so well, different. Let's, let's unpack some of these shows because this was a fun little intro. That it was fun, little. I don't want to sound demeaning when I say that. This is a cute little intro you did for us, Jason. <laughs> this this was a great intro um, that that launched us into the topic we were talking about and families. We talked about these shows. I love Lucy, nineteen fifty seven. Vita Vita Vegemin. Yep. If you remember that, that was such a great episode. So viral even now to watch yep. her on that assembly. Line. So good. <clears throat> Leave it to Beaver, 1958. Um, I've heard droves about that show. I've never seen a single episode. Really? Leave it to Beaver. Dude. Wow. Yeah. And you realize what I didn't I didn't survey on here is I didn't put um uh not Leave It to Beaver, but it's got the whistling theme song. Andy Griffith show. The Andy Griffith show. Yeah. I should have yeah. put that in there. But yeah. I but actually Andy Griffith was overshadowed by Leave It to Beaver, and then the next big wave was the one that we're going to talk about. But Leave It to Beaver to me was, it it was too cheesy. Like, and I get it, it was talking about that cheesy time in America. Yeah. But like, I don't know, man. It was now I know why people are like, who are you? You you know, you you grew up in a Leave It to Beaver home. Like, I totally get what they're saying. It's mad cheesy. Yeah. Andy Griffith was. Well, Ron Howard was the kid, and he's, yeah. I mean, Ron Howard's done Star Wars now. Right, <laughs> like, yeah, Ron, dude. Ron Howard also directed and created Arrested Development, for those who care. There you go. Uh, the Brady Bunch, 1969. So, yep. So now you've got a couple families coming together. But, so, I mean, dude, that was like reading some of the story behind that to publicly show on television. So you got 1969, landed on the moon, Martin Luther King gets shot, John F. Kennedy gets shot, Vietnam's getting ready to happen, marching in the streets, and you have the Woodstock sexual revolution, and so now they're like, let's change what the the ideal family looks like. And to put two blended families, especially a divorced woman, Yeah. On TV was like a big deal, man. Yeah. Really big deal. And then the Cosby Show. Hey, 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 1984. Yep. Cosby I said show. on Sunday <laughs> you that did, you didn't said. end well. 
<laughs> it took a few. It took a few of our members to kind of roll into the laughter and join. But yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, that, that was really flew right out of my mouth, yeah, and, and it, I was like, "There it, it flew, goes." It's been uh, so much has happened in the last few years. I almost forgot about it. I was one of those who were like, "Why is the oh right?" <laughs> like, oh, that's right. He's in jail yeah, forever. Yeah. You know? Oh my goodness. And then Family Matters, nineteen eighty nine. Surgeon Al Powell from Die Hard. Which, which one do you remember more, the Cosby Show or Family, Family Matters? Matters? Yeah, I was born in '88, um, but my brother was born in '85, and I sort of leaned towards what he would watch. Yeah, um, but Family Matters was always on more, and I, I think Cosby Show was sort of taking a backseat to being televised in Family Matters shadow by that time. Right. And I agree with that. I think what's different is I think my dad really loved like Bill Cosby and his stand up and all of that stuff. So we watched a ton of the Cosby show. And Family Matters, again, was like real cheesy to me. Like Urkel, I called him Screech on Sunday. And then I was like, (laughs) it's the same character, (laughs) guys. Yeah, Yeah. they're 100%. You know what I'm surprised didn't make the list um, for for you and your antics was Fresh Prince. Well, see, Saved by the Bell could have been on there. Fresh Prince, all of that stuff. Yeah, well, Fresh Prince is more family, like family-oriented. Absolutely it is. kind of like the start of what the Friends culture would have been. Yep, that um, would have been right in between... The Cosby Show, Family Matters, and then boom, it would go Fresh Prince yeah. right after yeah. that. And then we get Full House. Yep. Full House. There he is, Bob Saget. Yep. And then we have um, the longest running TV show at 33 years. I leaned up one of our board members and a guy who led worship for us, one of our worship leaders this Sunday is Philip Neely. I leaned over to him as you were saying, do you know what the longest run? Yep. I said, it's The Simpsons. Yep. It's The Simpsons. The Simpsons was started in 1989 and it is still running and airing to this day. On primetime television. Yeah. yeah. Like, whatever that Were is. Were you allowed to watch it when you were growing up? Absolutely not. Yeah. I, I had re- to watch it in my room with the volume down. <laughs> I remember telling my mom I wanted to watch it, and I remember to this day, we were in between houses, um, my mom and Andy were about to get married, and she looked at me and she was like, if I allow you to watch this show, you are not allowed to speak to me or to Andy in the way that, like she right. was addressing Bart Simpson. Oh, well, like, sure, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bart drank his dad's beer, <laughs> like all of that stuff, man. That was huge. So why, why, why did you take the time to walk us through these? What's important about this and kind of looking through a cultural lens? Why is this important? Yeah. So <clears throat> w- when I started seeing those posts on social media and yeah. people saying like, he raised me, I was like, okay, time out. Like we've got to survey this here. And I think one of the things that I try to do in the preaching and teaching ministry at Westside is going all the way back to the Apostle Paul. When Paul is there in Athens, he's looking at the culture and then he gets agitated by the culture and then stands up and then he knows their culture and he says, this is what you believe. And then he says, but here's what's missing. And then here's how the gospel, like it's just this incredible thing. And so I always want to let people know A, you have to be looking at the world through a biblical lens, okay? But B, you are faced and preached a gospel every day of your life. Every day, 365, 24-7, there is a gospel, a good news that is getting preached to you, whether it's Matthew McConaughey saying buy this Lincoln or whatever. It is a, it's a good news. It's, you need this in your life. And so I said, these shows on this timeline are a cultural commentary. Yeah. They are telling you this is what the family should be like. And yeah. then I said, think about this. We went from a black and white, 
They yeah. slept in separate beds. Right. When it would show their bedroom at yeah. night, he would be reading the newspaper and her hair would be in rollers and they were in separate beds yeah. because you could not show a man and a woman right. in bed together. Yeah. Like all the way to a digital family, not even a flesh and blood family. Yeah. And it's the Simpsons yeah. who their neighbor is a Christian guy who gets made fun of all the time, who has a quote-unquote family. God bless Ned Flanders. Right? (laughs) And so here's the thing. I said this. We said the culture is constantly changing. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. And that's a true statement, whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian. Yeah. Now, the reason why that is a bit of a segue and a challenging statement if you're a non-Christian is if you were one of these people who think, that humanity is progressively getting better, mm. there's a problem there. Yeah. Because the family is disintegrating. Yeah. Literally to now digital forms of yeah. a family in The Simpsons. Yeah. And so I said this I said, if you are building your foundation of what your family, your home, your house, your dating life, whatever that's gonna be, if you're building that off of the culture, yeah. you better strap in yeah. because it is going to be a roller coaster. Yeah. This year it's going to be this, next year it's going to be that, yeah. and nobody's satisfied. And next year your son's drinking your beer and your daughter's an environmentalist who plays a saxophone. That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the, the culture is constantly changing, and if we use that, I mean, it's very, te- it's very easy, um, let alone tempting, to look at the culture and to use that as like a formation for the foundation of our families because it's everywhere. Sure. It's everywhere, whether it's Twitter, whether it's situational comedy or anything like that. So I want to look at two things. I want to look at both sides of this coin. The first is the negative side. What are some healthy, um, I'm sorry, what are some unhealthy family cultures that you notice in our day today that we could be aware of um, or maybe put aside? Yeah. So I think primarily Probably the most unhealthy culture that I see, and I think people are going to be shocked when I say this, is not some anti-family, you know, agenda, which by the way, like, I'm just not for like picket signs and stuff like that. Yeah. I think the most unhealthy family culture is the reactive, we don't have a plan, we don't have a vision, Mm. We're just trying to make it through the month, yeah. make it through the year. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my kids are teenagers. Oh my gosh, my kids are preteens. <clears throat> oh my gosh, my kids are toddlers. Oh my gosh, we're empty now. Ne- and yeah. there is no vision. Yeah. It is a tumbleweed yeah. of we're just, are we going to go on a family vacation this year or are we not? Are we yeah. hurry up, get in the car. We're going to go to, you know, it's just yeah. nothing. Yeah. I think that is by far the most dangerous because... Yeah. What you'll end up having is you'll you'll build a foundation subconsciously. Yeah. So your kids will naturally gravitate to technology. Yeah. And they'll they'll find who they are through yeah. Snapchat and these types of things. Right. Mom and dad will constantly live in a perpetual state of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Is there enough money? You know, mom doesn't feel safe. Dad's constantly stressed. And so it's it's a massively yeah. unhealthy because then we said this, that the family is foundational to our formation. Right. And what happens in that type of a family is deformation. Yeah. There is massive emotional unhealth. Yeah. There's suppression of emotions. There's blowing up. There's shutting up. There's all of those things. Yeah. So I think... 
you know, Proverbs is true when it says where there is no vision, yeah. people perish. That's what you tell your family when they come up with last minute plans. Absolutely. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. We're right. not doing they this. Stumble all over <laughs> themselves. Yes. I think um, one of the things that I see uh, culturally comes from uh, on the unhealthy family side is kind of crept in from what our culture has evolved into over the last like 25, 30 years is this rugged individualism. Sure. You see, you see families coming home. And rather than uniting together and gathering, even like you mentioned on Sunday, like at, at dinner, yep. like sitting for an hour at dinner, families come home and they scatter to yep. their rooms with their devices, with their comforts and their pleasures. And that's something that I see that is just a part of that deformation that you were talking about. That Dude, I think is, I think that's a it's, great it's, insight because it's, it's easy. And it's so rugged and so individual yeah. that these kids don't even know the heritage of their grandparents. Yeah. Because it's, well, this is who we are, and this is what we're going to do, which is so antithetical to the scriptures of pass down the story of your fathers, of all of those. That's a great insight, man. Let's flip the coin. Well, I'm I'm not speaking just from looking through a lens at the world. Like that, those are our struggles as well. Sure. Come home and be like, hey, like we all need rest and, you know, all of that. So um, let's flip the other side of that coin from unhealthy to healthy. Is there anything that we can see that's healthy and hopeful family cultures that we notice in today's day and age? I I think there's a, a few really healthy things. And again... I, you know, don't let the tattoos fool you. I'm still trying to put the fun back in fundamentalism. Your drip is on but, point today. You're wearing the matching. What What are you wearing today, by the way? It's a, it is a Air Jordan jumpsuit. Yeah, dude. That is, I'm going back to my JJ days, yeah. brother. I mean, I am ready. I'm, all I need is a tall T You right held now. up the Air Ones at the, I did. in the sermon this I week. I did, yeah. good. I think one of the healthy things is, and, and let me preface, when I say that if you're one of those people who think humanity is getting better, I need to clarify. I do think humanity is advancing. Yeah. Duh. I mean, like we've got billionaires going into space. Like yeah. that's the new thing. Right. Like it's like the new things to go into orbit. Yeah. How crazy is that? I mean, it was it was pretty cool to see um, uh, Captain Kirk, yes. uh, William Shatner make it. Uh, Did you hear in, his interview? No. Bro. I need to watch it. Bro. Yeah. He like, it was spiritual. Yeah. He's, anyway. Yeah. I think humanity is advancing when yeah. it comes to technology and these things. Yeah. Let me preface. I think the human condition is still the same. Yeah. I, I don't think Completely we will agree. improve on that. Yeah. And what I, what I mean by that is primarily what psychologists would call the ego. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I do think is healthy is I think primarily our generation has because we were a lot of us were kids of baby boomers like yeah. my dad's a baby boomer yeah and so i'm the tail end of the youngest part of baby boomers having kids yeah but i think what we realized was whoa the baby boomers who lived during the 60s sexual revolution yeah. are in shambles so i think there's a ton of discussion now about emotional health yeah about mental health about going and seeing a psychologist, a therapist. Yeah. I think there is beautiful language that is surrounding these families and a family that has a three-year-old, 13-year-old, or 30-year-old are now more apt to have a conversation and go, you know what? I think Ted experienced some serious trauma. Yeah. 
And we should probably <clears throat> seek some professional help over that. Yeah. That I think is massively healthy yeah. and a really, really good thing. Yeah. So that's one good thing that I yeah. really see. I think that's awesome. Well, you, you brought us into two main influences on the family that come from the passage, directly from the passage uh, in Joshua 24. The first one is generational influence. And he says it right there. Choose who you're going to worship. In verse 14, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, the gods of your fathers. So we've said this before in the past. I think this is something that you coined, and I may be butchering it here, but change won't happen corporately unless it's applied individually. Yeah, Change won't happen corporately unless it's applied individually. So yes, the culture is constantly changing, and cultural influence is something that, that plays a tie into the formation of our families. But Joshua is here first addressing the people of Israel and saying, hey, you got to look back at your fathers, yep. and you got to see their impact. I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but what cultures could we be aware of from our past, like yeah. from our, the generations before us that shape the environment that we set for our homes today? Yeah, and, and this is, if you hadn't listened to last week's bad. sermon or the podcast, I would go back. This is where I would lean heavily on two resources, Bowen's Family Systems Theory yeah. and then um, the emotionally uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Yeah. Because Pete Scazzaro. Yeah, Sorry. because every yeah. every family is a part of an emotional unit, and so you learned how to <laughs> respond, react, emotional yeah. health. But also there were like unspoken, he calls them unspoken like Ten Commandments. Yeah. And so like, you know, in premarital counseling, I have couples finish this sentence. Money to me growing up was blank. Yeah. Scarce. Yeah. Available. Didn't care. Whatever the answer is to that is a generational influence yeah. that's going to affect your marriage. And primarily two couples have a different answer to that. Yeah. Well, that is fertile ground for conflict. Yeah. And so you better believe that there are generational influences. Yeah. I mean, having one conversation with somebody who, when they paused and thought about it, said, my mom, my grandmother, and my great grandmother were all divorced. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That has a massive impact yeah. on your marriage, your dating life. I mean, goodness gracious. That, yeah. no matter what you think, being a third or fourth generation of that is a big deal. Yeah. So it's huge. Yeah. Well, the two main influence on, on the family, the first one was generational influence, but then it's cultural. And if, if you're listening, you're 21 minutes in by now, you're going to notice that we are going to talk a lot about culture today. Um, and he says it right there furthering in the passage in verse uh, 14 and 15. He says, um, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you're going to serve, whether it was the God of your fathers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell now, yep. the culture that you're in now. So you have two opportunities. You can, you can, you can put away the gods of your fathers, your generational influences or idols, or you can choose to put away or worship the gods of your cultural influence and the Amorites and that you're in now. And the reason I quoted that that quote that you had coined earlier, change won't happen corporately unless it's applied individually. I think as the Church of Jesus Christ and as families, if we reorder and structure our families, then we have an opportunity to influence the culture. Absolutely. We have an opportunity to see the culture, not just of West Side or not just of of, of the faith community, but also the world. And, yeah. and I think rather than taking the ideology of looking out and seeing everything that's wrong with the culture and us versus them, we can actually apply the good news from God's Word as the foundation in our families and see that change and that holiness, that set-apartness take 
take fruit and essentially affect those around us and affect it for the change of the better. Yeah, we've always yeah. said that, and, and I've taught this multiple times, that there's really three <clears throat> primary ways to look at the culture. You can either separate from the culture completely mm-hmm. and create an isolationist sort of yeah. environment. So we're going to go Christian schools, we're going to go and do, and we're just going to completely separate. Yeah. The problem is Jesus says, when he prays to the Father, Lord, I ask that you not take them out of the right. world. So we can't separate. The next ditch on the other side of the road is to saturate right. and to be just like the culture and then sprinkle a little Jesus on top. But we have to be distinct because Jesus says that we're in it but yeah. not of it. So to be in it and not of it is not to separate or saturate, it's to infiltrate. Yeah. And when you infiltrate the culture, it means that you have a greater allegiance yeah. than to the culture. So ours would be the kingdom of God. Yeah. So we want Christians in law and Christians in medicine and in yeah. school systems and the same thing for families. We want you in community awanas or, you know, basketball programs yeah. or public school systems, you know, and all of that stuff yeah. because then you can infiltrate the culture that right. way. Right. Well, and w- regardless of, of where you're at culturally, um, you're still a family. Um, and we said this was our big idea this week. Every family, in order to move forward in a healthy way, must define who they are and declare where they are going. So you put a definition, you put a you put a marker and you put a goal, a finish line on your family in the direction that you're going. And and we see in the text, and you broke this down for us, the way Joshua does this is through covenant. Yeah. Through a covenant. It says a little further on in the passage. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua's like, okay, let's make a covenant. Yeah. Josh, he's like, let's get serious about this. Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Yeah. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth, which I guess is tree, mm-hmm. um, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. What's a covenant? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it's... this a little on Sunday, but I also I, I want you to go in depth in that word a little bit because I know we've talked in the past. It means to cut or to pass through. Yeah. And can we go into that? A little bit. Yeah, the big idea just kind of comes from what Joshua's doing in the passage. He's saying, you've got these two influences, and if you don't define who you are and declare where you're going, you're going to be influenced by these two things. And so you have to do this, because we said a few weeks ago, if you don't have a vision for your family, then life will give you a vision that you don't want. And so what, what Joshua does, kind of more so in a judgment sort of accountability sort of way, yeah. said, because three times in the passage, they say, we'll serve the Lord, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua's like, you don't know what you're asking. They're like, we'll serve right. the Lord. He's like, are you sure? We'll serve the Lord. And so what we said a covenant was, is it's sometimes helpful to define what something is by what something isn't. Yeah. And what a covenant isn't is a contract. And a contract is based upon two mutual parties agreeing upon service and goods. So if I do this, then you do this. AT&T, if I pay this bill, you give me data or whatever like that. And then if I don't do that, AT&T, shut your phone off because it's based on performance. And we just kind of paused and said, it's really good news to know that God does not operate contractually. Yeah. He operates covenantally. Amen. And a covenant is based upon a promise, a future promise. And the easiest illustration of this is at a wedding. And I said that I don't let a bride and groom write their own wedding vows. That's like one of the only rules I have on doing weddings because we're stupid. (laughs) 
because you're just going to do like some Jerry Maguire, you complete me dumb thing. And it's not about that. What the traditional wedding vows are is they are a future promise. Yeah. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do we part. Yeah. What you're saying is if we're rich or if we're poor, if we're healthy, if we're sick, all of those things on that day, I am pledging now to be present then. That's what a covenant is. But what becomes radical in the scriptures is God's covenants are always one-sided, meaning God not only pledges the covenant, he pays for the covenant as well, which again, we said Christianity's really one-sided when you start to look at it. It is not about our grip on God. It's not like God's done blank. Yeah. So man, if I fully, and, and Christians don't even believe this because Christians say stuff like, God, if man, I just really want to surrender my life to you, God. I really want to surrender my life to you and take our relationship to the next level. That's code language for if I do this, yeah. then I know you'll do this. Mm-hmm. What God is saying is, if you just believe in faith that I already have, then you already will. Yeah. And that's a profound difference when it yeah. comes to that. So it's a covenant, man. Yeah. Well, we have a cool resource that we gave to our people um, last week and the week before uh, that was up by the communion table. It was essentially a covenant, a declaration that we yep. wanted people to... Uh, uh, that we wanted people to take home, to read through, and to join do what as Joshua a did, man. Yeah, man. Like sign their name. It's it's a paper rock, and you yes. all get to sign it. Um, if you didn't pick one of those up, I think we'll have them. Well, we yeah, even, we'll have them for a while. Yeah, well, they'll they'll be up there for sure. Even though we'll be out, there'll still be a gathering this this coming Sunday, and those will be up there as well. So snag one of those. But um, on that sheet is the acronym, the acronym H O U S E. And if you need help with that, um, that spells house, uh, H-O-U-S-E, which are just pulled from the passage and kind of a guiding way for us to found to build a foundation of our home and our families on Jesus to move forward in the future. So Yeah, and uh, really quickly, I think it's important we said this Sunday, <clears throat> if you're single, we got a lot of single people, yeah. college-age people, like people maybe who are empty nesters, widowed or whatever, yeah. like... I said Sunday that this series might be more important for you or more applicable for you. Mm. Because I hate oftentimes when, you know, the church does something or there's a Christian book on the family, immediately a single person or a dating person is like, well, that's not for me. Like, no, you have all of this space and this time that you're moving towards something. So it might be more important for you yeah. to declare and define who you are and where you're going in this season in yeah. your life. That's good news. That's good news. No one's left out. Um, we've been talking a lot about culture, and we're going to dive into it even more. So you broke down this week the acronym of HOUSE, H-O-U-S-E, Holy, Obedient, United, Serving, and Everyone. And what I want to do as we walk through these, I want to look at it through the lens of culture. Mm-hmm. I want to look at it through the lens of like the first one, holiness, holy. Um, it says in Leviticus 19, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I want to look at this along with the other letters in the acronym through the lens of culture. So so how does our culture today, either inside the walls of Christianity or outside the walls of it, just in the general context of our Western American culture, what what is viewed as holiness sure. today? Yeah, I would say primarily if if somebody who is not a Christian is looking at this and saying, wow, you know, my family's to be holy, 
they would think legalism perfection. Mm. That's what they would think. They would think, oh, my family has to be perfect. Yeah. My family has to be like, leave it to beaver. Right. It's got to be no brokenness, no flaws, no anything like that. And we said, anytime you say the word holy, you've got to do a little bit of work because that's immediately people think stained glass, flowing robes, yeah. you know, perfection. And the reality is the word at its very basic core understanding means sacred, separate, or set apart. Mm. So it it means distinct from. Yeah. So when God says, I am holy, what he's saying is, I am separate from creation. Yeah. I am I am distinct. I am something completely different at a very basic level. Yeah. I just used a simple illustration of like my favorite Air Jordan tennis shoes. Like yeah. They're, I got them as a gift. They're really nice. I don't wear them on rainy days. I, I don't crease the toe. I walk yeah. differently when I'm in them. And I very simply said, it's because the value affects the view. Yeah. Like I view those differently because they're valuable to me. Yeah. And so that changes completely when God says, you are a holy nation, yeah. a royal priesthood. Yeah. What God is saying to his people is, you're so valuable to me that if your grandmother was to pass down the ruby necklace, yeah. well, you don't just throw that in a drawer where the remote controls and batteries are. Right. You put that on the mantle. Yeah. That's holiness. Yeah. That, that's separate. That's distinctness. Yeah. So how, like, what's an example of, of maybe, maybe a husband and wife with two kids or maybe a single guy who's in college? Some, something that maybe a, a widowed woman or a divorced family, what, what's something that, some, that someone can do to foster this idea of holy, this separateness, this set-apartness, this sacredness in their lives and in their environment? Yeah. I mean, I'll use a couple of illustrations from real life. The first one, I think, for a young man that I know who's young, he's in the dating world and this, that, and the other, and he's like, bro, I just don't have Snapchat. Yeah. And I don't have any of that stuff. And I was like, why? He said, because how easy it is to get a message at yeah. midnight or 1 a.m. And then one thing leads to the other. And he said, and I was blown away by this. He said 90 to 95% of all of his friends' relationships began on like Snapchat. Wow. And so he's also seeing how those relationships have ended up. So wisdom would say, if I don't want to end up where they've ended up, I probably shouldn't begin where yeah. they've begun. Yeah. And so holiness would say, separateness, set-apartness would say, man, maybe that's just not for me. I yeah. want to go about this a different way. I mean, I even talked about this Sunday as parents. We were having a great pizza popcorn night with the kids. We're getting ready to watch this movie. We were excited. It was supposed to be this sci-fi. Oh, this is fun. And then the kids start saying these words like paranormal. And then the house is haunted. And then they're like, let's talk to the ghost. And yeah. then they, I mean, it's a seance. They yeah. like lit these candles. And I was like, whoop, time out. Yeah. I like press pause. This is what it's like to be a Jordan kid. I like <laughs> press pause. I actually went and got a dry erase board <laughs> and like drew heaven. Like, and I just walked through all of this stuff and was like, the Bible says that you don't open these doors because you open it to everything. Yeah. And Jesus says that you come through me to get through the Father. Yeah. And what these people are doing is they're wanting to go around God in order to get heaven, hell, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And so we, we had to turn the movie 
off. Yeah. Like it wasn't some, that's not going to, you know, break yeah. and seed. We didn't, you know, go burn it in the backyard. Right, we just yeah. had a conversation. How was that received by your, by your kids, by the family? They were a little bit bummed yeah. for sure. But then I think they were just kind of like, well, dad says so. Yeah. So I'm hoping and praying yeah. that what that moment was, was like seed yeah. on the heart that when they encounter that again, yeah. that through the power of God's spirit, that he would foster something in them to yeah. go, Hey, I remember this. Yeah. I've I've encountered this. So I so I just think it's distinction in those areas. Yeah. We're in the early stages of that right now. We have a four year old, a two year old, and a newborn. And our four and two year old, when we, you know, are straightening up the house or whatever, we'll put on like a fifteen minute show or something. And we had to turn one off the other day. And it was really difficult to explain why. It's a cartoon show, and one of the friends of the main character has two dads. Sure. And um, they're, it's very rare, like, in the series. But long story short, we know over time they're going to be exposed to that. It's a reality of the culture that we live in. But knowing how young they are, we don't want a foundational formation for them to be bred through a cartoon. Or yeah, they don't have the capability <laughs> yeah, for that, man. Yeah, and so that's just off limits for us, and they know that we don't watch that show anymore. Yeah. And, and um, it's difficult, but in that moment, like, that, that, that is a leading and driving moment of parenting. It's not our goal to be our kid's best friend, but to raise them up in the way they should go to love and to know Jesus. And to everybody listening to this, we are in the culture, guys, mm. that where the culture would view what you did and call you guys bigots. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but the reality is yeah. the issue that you guys were like, whoa, it wasn't even the issue. Yeah. It was my kid's four. Yep. That's, like, that's my what kid I told can barely Kayla. pee on the potty. Right. Like, and you're yeah. trying. Ethan peed all over the floor yesterday. Like, and yeah. you're trying to, yeah. I mean, you're trying to do something yeah. here that is not fair. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. great. We'll talk to our kids and have that conversation in the future, but they're not going to learn it from a cartoon. They're going to no. learn it from mom and dad. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we want. So the first one's holiness. And we left with an application question from this point. And you can ask yourselves this now based on everything we've talked about. How is my house set apart from the world? Yep. What are some things that I can do or maybe add? or maybe remove from my home to reflect the image and glory of God in this sacred, set-apart, separate way and show that our home is foundationed and rooted on the gospel and the good news of Jesus and the love of God. And one of the things, like, again, my parents did was I said, you know, I wasn't allowed to stay the night anywhere Saturday night yeah. because I was going to be in church on Sunday. Yeah. Hated it, didn't understand it. Yeah. Like all of this type of stuff, looking yeah. back now, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Are you able to stay the night anywhere now on right. Saturday night? Uh, I, I need to call him first and ask. So <laughs> You can talk to Courtney about that. Right. So the first one is holy. The second of the acronym is obedient. Obedient. Through the same cultural lens, um, I want to ask not about the view of obedience, but what role does obedience play in our culture? Like, like, because yeah. we know it's a dirty word. Like, sure. Like nobody likes the word obey, especially when the world is individualistic and everything's about you. And you've got, I mean, if you've got a filter that can change you from, you know, if we're doing attractiveness on a scale of zero to 10 from a six to an 11, right. like if you've got a filter on TikTok or something that can do that, why do I need to obey or listen to anybody else? Or yeah. if I'm chasing after my own dreams and my own visions and I want to be the next shooting star in the galaxy, then... Yeah. Uh, why do I need to obey? What role does obedience play in the culture that we live in? Yeah, I would think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think <clears throat> in the rugged individualism, number one, I mean, we even see this, like, so we tell our kids, hey, if you get in trouble at school, yeah, we respect teachers. Yeah. So primarily, you you need to know straight up we're siding with the teacher. Yeah. And I know that's woo controversial and like call the coach because my kid's not playing. But Your you kids just, aren't perfect angels? You just got to know, man. Error. Like, And then we'll hear you out and yeah. we'll have a discussion. 
but that isn't what we're teaching our kids is to obey authority. Yeah. Now we're also teaching them to obey respectable authority, not tyrants or anything like that. But I think in the individualistic culture, it's nobody's going to tell my kid what to do in this, that, and the other. And I would venture to say that if you talk to police officers, law enforcement, school teachers, that's why things are the way that they are. But if it's not in that negative sense like that, I would say then it swings all the way over to the other side. Yeah. And then obedience becomes merit. Yeah. It becomes earning. Yeah. So then the more that I obey, yeah. the better, like the cleavers. Right. Look, mom, I, Eddie Haskell did this. Yeah. I didn't do that. I did this. Yeah. I love you, Beaver. I'm so glad you're not Eddie Haskell. Like, what that is, is right. that's works righteousness, yeah. is what that is. Yeah, well, and Jesus gets at that in John 14, which you reference. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, which we can kind of view from the opposite side, the first side that we were talking about in terms of, ob- I'm sorry, the second side in terms of obedience is that performance culture, the works-based righteousness. Yeah. That we could read this and skew it and say, well, if I really want to prove and show that I love God and I want to show him that I'm going to that I'm gonna be enough— then I'll keep his commandments. Yep. And the way that you break this down every time we come to this passage, I absolutely love because it gives us a right view, not just of this of this phrase that God, that Jesus gives us, but in a window into the heart of God, yep. into the heart of the Father. Talk about this verse for a second. Yeah, I mean, it's just basic <laughs> Bible interpretation. And for you nerds out there, it's the imperative and the indicative. Yeah. The imperative is this is what you need to do. Yeah. The indicative is the why. So it's the difference in the what and the why. And I, I dude, I always point out, Jesus says the word love first. Yeah. Then he says commandments. Yeah. And even if you drop down in the passage in verse 15, you know, you have this great declaration Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we all cheer. Yay, woo. But then you drop down a few verses and he says, why? And they say, well, because God delivered our fathers out of the land of Egypt. Yeah. And the very basic understanding, I'll never forget where I was when I learned this, a Theology Tuesday um, in St. Louis at a church. Was that really what it was called? Yep. You got to come to this church and just bring your sack lunch. And they had professors from Covenant Theological Seminary come in and teach just for like two hours. It's like free seminary. Rad. So I would go in, and I'll never forget, this guy asked this question. He was teaching out of Galatians about the law, and he said, when did God give the people of Israel the Ten Commandments? Mm. And I was like, uh, While they were building the golden calf. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> did he give them the Ten Commandments before or after yeah. he delivered them? And I was like, well, after? Yeah. And he goes, that's the gospel. Yeah. God saved them and said, because I saved you, goes back to holiness, because yeah. now you're separate and distinct, yeah. now live this way. Yeah. And if you live this way, then the world will know that you are mine. Yeah. The same thing is true for Christians. Yeah. It's not that, and this is the sentence we always distinct, and this is from Tim Keller, who got it from Francis Schaeffer, who got it from John Stott, goes all the way back to Jesus, yeah. is this. Religion says that if I obey, then I will be accepted. Yeah. I think in our part, anytime I teach on this, it resonates so much because in yeah. the South, that's literally what people think church is. Yeah. That even I, seems to make sense. It sounds right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. we're because we're sinners. Yeah. Like right. we don't even connect those lines. That makes us go, yes, yeah. I can measure this. I can do this. Yeah. It and, lines up with our culture too. If I don't break the law, I won't go to jail. Absolutely. If I'm nice to you, you'll like me. All of that. Yeah. All of that. And at the end yeah. of the day, 
the gospel is because of Jesus, I am accepted, therefore I'm free to obey. Yeah. Two primarily different distinctions there. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we left our people with an application question that I want to talk about and break down for a second. In our home, we will love God's way. As we will re- live God's sorry, way. That's a typo live, in my notes. <laughs> we, we will we will live God's way as revealed in God's word. Yep. So when it comes to this idea of obedience, it can still like the idea of it can be a dirty word, but then the application of it can feel just as dirty if, if that idea is skewed. Sure. So how can we deal with obedience in the home? Like, let's just, let's talk to our young families. How can we deal with the idea of our children obeying their father and mother? Yep. Like maybe one of God's top 10 commandments, no big deal. Yep. How do you deal with that? And then how do you deal with disobedience? Is there punishment? Is there consequences? Is there reward? Yeah. All of that. Yeah. I think the primary thing to teach our kids when it comes to obedience is not to obey you because you are demanded authority. Yeah. That's the opposite of what God does. Because I said so. Your job as a parent is to say, your job is to obey me because God has given me this authority. Yeah. And if you don't obey me, who you see who is around you every day, yeah. how in the world will you obey a God you don't see? Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That is massively important. Yeah. And so that training begins in the home. Yeah. Well, and when it comes to disobedience, like I know this is this is something that we are rife with in our home right now because we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. But um, when it comes to disobedience, I know we talked a little bit about the difference between punishment and consequences and and Discipline. That's the word I'm looking for, yeah. discipline. God doesn't punish those whom he loves. He disciplines those whom he loves. Yep. How do you draw the line between punishment and discipline and maybe even bringing into the con- the conversation the idea of consequences? Sure. And then maybe even reward if that is merited in any of those senses. Yeah, I think any psychologist, especially a guy like Jordan Peterson, would tell you that the most dangerous thing that you can do to your children is protect them from their consequences. Yeah. Um, that's what enables drug addiction. Yeah. That's the that's the final straw when you have an addict as a family member and you and you leave them to their consequences, which is a lot of times death or jail. Right. And so, what's so important in that is is you have to number one walk through this process that just takes so much Holy Spirit empowered grace and yeah. patience of. Hey, I gave you like four times. Yeah. Like I, I clarified myself. I said, "Don't jump on the couch." You jumped on the couch. Daddy said, "Don't." Then what did? did then what did you do? I jumped on the couch. Yeah. Then what did Daddy say that he would do if you jumped on the couch? That Daddy would discipline me. So now, what choice did you make? I think that's so important. Yeah. Is that we have to teach our kids that we are not inflicting. Yeah. Like that's that's a tyrannical view of authority. Yeah. It's not inflicting discipline. Yeah. It is because of my poor choices. Yeah. I mean, I'll get super personal on here. When I got kicked out of college, um, I came home and for months I was a human piece of garbage, <laughs> meaning like I wasn't working. Yeah. I wasn't doing, I was kicked out of college. I was an idiot, dude. I had great parents. I was an idiot. I would go on these benders. I would not come home, this, that, and the other. And my dad sat me down at the table and said, hey, listen, you can't not come home for two days. Yeah. Like, that's not a crazy rule, right? Like, that's not a, to live in this house, 
to have to come home and check in and live a normal way, that's not yeah. a crazy. And so he said, these are the rules of the home. You have to abide by them to live here. And I remember slamming my hands down on the table and saying, I cannot believe that you are kicking your kid out of your house. And my dad got very serious with me and he looked at me in the eye and he said, no, sir, I am not kicking you out. You are choosing to leave. Yeah. And it was clear. Yeah. The parameters were set. These were very gracious. Like I think about it now and I'm like, I'm out of here, man. My mom does my laundry. <laughs> you feed me. We've got heat in here. What, what is this, jail? Yeah, yeah it's right. so dumb. Yeah. Because sin makes you stupid. That's yeah. why. And it was very clear that, oh, and what I didn't want is I didn't want responsibility. Yeah. I didn't want to face consequences. Yeah. And so a healthy child understands choices and consequences. Yeah. Jesse Ray, don't touch the stove. It'll yeah. burn you. Right. She knows she's connecting those things. Yeah. Um, deformation in our foundation happens when those consequences were abdicated away from us. Yeah. When we were either protected from them yeah. from a helicopter parent you know, like, so you have the mom who's, oh my gosh, my baby can never experience heartache or right. anything like that. Or you have parents that just, eh, throw some dirt in it. Right. You'll be all right. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, like yeah. they're, they're hurting. Little you bleach know? ain't going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. I, yeah, man, I think those consequences and choices are yeah. huge. Yeah. I heard a pastor once say that a, a, a healthy way of, of, of enacting discipline is to connect before you correct. Yep. And that's something that we're trying to, just with our kids being so young, still trying to um, implement in the home is removing them from the environment where they chose to, you know, disobey for the third or fourth time and then taking them to a separate environment and then explaining to them, you know, just like you said with your kids jumping on the couch, like this is what you did. Words aren't working. We're moving on to this and we'll do this again and, and move from there. But that is a, it's a difficult thing because it does require time. Absolutely. Um, and it does require effort and it does require the Holy Spirit. And one thing that we've said over and over in this series is, man, you know, I'm trying to do this with my family, build this foundation, my dating life. Oh, man, this is hard. Yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. This is why people bail. Yeah. And then we're going to talk next week, like, why is it hard? Uh, man, I feel like there's opposition against my family. Yeah. There is. <laughs> there is, you know. Also, we've got Holy, we've got Obedient, and then we've got United. Yeah. The Hillsong Youth Band from yep. the early 2000s. Um, That's it. We're united. We are united as a family. What can we learn or maybe unlearn about unity from our Western individualistic society and how that reflects on the home? Yeah, I think primarily unity doesn't mean uniformity. Mm. uniformity is a cult, yeah. you know, where we all wear <laughs> Nikes and drink Kool-Aid. You guys that's, don't have the Kool-Aid at your house? That's not what we're talking about yeah. in the family yeah. is what makes the unity so beautiful in the family is the diversity, the yeah. distinction and personalities and all of that thing. Yeah. And what Jesus says in John 17 in the key verse was in the prayer, he says, Father, I pray that you make them one, that we are one so the world will know that you have sent me. Yeah. Dude, that is, again, the imperative and the indicative. Yeah. Like, we don't just sing kumbaya. 
because we're supposed to be unified for yeah. the sake of unity. Yeah. We do it because it's, as Francis Schaeffer said, the number one apologetic for non-Christians yeah. is the unity of Christians. Yeah. And so the family is what's so valuable in that sense because yeah. it's a diversity that is a unity. Yeah. And man, when you think about the rarity of that, and yeah. when I mean unity, I don't mean perfect. Yeah. I'm meaning unified in the sense of love and grace and yeah. forgiveness, and you can only have love, grace, and forgiveness if there was hurt, sin, yeah. and those types of things. Yeah. But we kind of logically walk through, like, why is that so important? Yeah. That if there is opposition, if if I was on team anti-God, yeah. and I'm looking at what Jesus said, yeah. I know how important what Jesus said is. Right. Because he said it. Yeah. He said, if they're unified, then the world will know. Yeah. So what I would want to do if I was on team enemy is not just attack the family for the sake of the family. Yeah. Is I would want to sow discord. Right. I would want like, and this happens again, and I didn't get in on this on Sunday, but we could go all the way back. Division means two visions. Yeah. That's what division means. Yeah. So if you don't have a vision for your family, the enemy will sow die vision yeah. and give you two visions. And a two and a two-headed creature is a monster. Yeah. Okay. In that sense. And so that's why we said it's so important for the family to be unified. Yeah. Well, I find it interesting. I when when I look through this acronym, the U in United and the word house is right in the center. Yeah. Um, which doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of it's good. an image. But for me, it all it all seems to revolve around unity. Yep. It all seems to revolve around agreeing to move forward. I mean, a, a cup unified in a covenant decision and a, a covenant promise with the Lord and with our families. And so um, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you can have life and have it to the full, yep. which is uh, the application you had here was the goal of the enemy is to sow hostility in the family, which yep. is the opposite of good news. It's the opposite of what, what Jesus wants for the family and for the world, which is unity with him. And that's why, guys, that's why the family conflict hurts so much. Yeah. And that's why it's not just a little tiff. Yeah. It's not just, it is a level of spiritual warfare. Yeah. I mean, we said, and we'll get deeper into this in the next week, the first thing that the enemy attacked in the garden yeah. was a family. Yeah. And the playbook hasn't changed. Yeah. It hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, we, we left our people with a question I want to unpack for a second. How is our family intentionally fighting for unity? Yeah. For unity. And so whether it's a personal um, example or something that you've seen, what are some centering biblical routines um, that can be done in a household to unite the family in the common direction of Jesus. Yeah, I think the very most basic one, and I said it Sunday, is just eating, is the act of eating. I think there's... It's not 45 minutes of prayer on the living room floor every right. single night? Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Um, I think just the fact of coming together around a meal intentionally yeah. focused yeah. Um, is is very good. One, like on Saturday, we spent, the weather was bad, so we were literally home all day, yeah. which can go a number of ways. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And it sort of has this ebb and flow. But on days that we stay home, we try to do something intentional, whether it be Uno or a game, yeah. where we are literally, all five of us are in a circle in the yeah. floor. Yeah. Now, we're doing something funny right. or fun yeah. or whatever, but that by just osmosis yeah. in itself is massively important. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, just to alleviate a burden off of people 
It's not reading Calvin's Institutes to right. your kids at bed at night, and we are defined by. We should like, probably stop doing that. That might be too gosh, much. Gosh, man, you know, I just think there's some you know practical things that you can yeah, do like that. We're, we're a music and a game family. Love it. Um, we sit around the table. We play. Our, we've been waiting for the day for our kids to be old enough to comprehend rules for a game, and so we've been playing some games with the kids around Love the it. table after dinner, and we also gather around. We, we play guitar, or piano, and sing songs at night, and then we we always pray the Lord's Prayer, but. I think those are some good centering things that don't feel like a lot yep. right now, but I think over time, I'm hoping our kids can look back and in the same way that we've looked back to our families and been like, oh yeah, absolutely, I see it. I get and then that. for people who are dating or something like that, I yeah. think I think unity looks like talking about future plans together. Yeah, I think it's like, hey, how many kids do you want? Yeah, I mean, those are unifying conversations because yeah. if you're like, I want six, and she's like, I don't really want kids. Hello, yeah, <laughs> it's like, right. That's going to be a problem. And so yeah. I think it's just doing those types that's of things. Good. And I think, man, if you're older listening to this, I cannot stress the importance enough that if you are a grandparent, here's what happens, and we're going to get into this in the kids portion. When you transition from younger kids. The way that you primarily are parenting is through control. Yeah. You can literally physically make Jesse Ray do something. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, totally, right? Yeah. The older the kids get, the less control happens yeah. and the more influence happens. Yeah. You can only influence your kids. Yeah. If you're a grandparent, please listen to me. The influence that you carry over your children and your grandchildren is massive. Yeah. I mean, I would say almost uncomparable. Yeah. And so the way that that unity can happen is using that influence in a uniting way. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that's really good. Something came into my mind because I'm weird, but it's by God's grace that babies are not born the size of full human adults. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. I, I'm just thankful that Jesse Ray was seven pounds and nine ounces as opposed to like 150 pounds trying to put something in a light socket. It'd be like a four foot chicken. <laughs> we would die. Yeah, there's no hope there. Yeah. Um, holiness, obedience, united, and then we're creeping towards the end here, serving. Um, serving is, I think, something that is unique in our culture because it's something that is highly valued. You have you have opportunities <laughs> yes. for people to go and to do good for the community, but it sort of stops there. It sort of stops as this idealistic, I'm going to do good and then go home and then leave it there, and that's it. Whether it's a nonprofit or something, um, going to a soup kitchen, those are good things, but Outside of outside of church context, like can we define what serving is yeah, man. in our culture today? Yeah, it's self-serving, serving one another, anything like that. I think in our culture, it's primarily self-serving. Yeah. I think now the new trend on YouTube from guys like Mr. Beast and stuff is yeah. to give money away yeah. and do stuff for people. And film it. <laughs> and that and and that gets views now. Yeah. And so it's so interesting yeah. because you're like, oh my gosh, Mr. Beast, like you know, one of his thumbnails says this video cost me a million dollars. Yeah. And then he gets ten million per the clicks for it. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, guys, we are, and I've used this illustration, loading the dishwasher. This is how sinful I am. I can serve my wife by doing the dishes and loading the dishwasher. Yep all in the desire that she would affirm that I have done the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. Yep. That's my idol, bro. And then who did I serve? Yeah. 
I served me. Yeah. So we are so sinful and broken yeah. that we sin by serving yeah. because we're serving ourselves. Yeah. And then here comes this rabbi in Jesus. I mean, Jesus comes along and goes, hey, um, the, the least of you is going to be the greatest, and I have yeah. come not to be served, but to serve God yeah. in the flesh. Yeah. And I think what's so important, again, going back to development and health, whether it be in relationships, families, kids, yeah. parenting, is that I have to, we're in the conversation in our family, I have to remind the kids sometimes, hey, we're a family of five. Yeah. That's called a unit. Yeah. And this is what we're eating for dinner. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And when you say you're not eating that, what you're saying is, I want to get served differently. Yeah. And here's what you're saying. I want to sacrifice the whole yeah. for me. Yeah. And I think that's what society says. Yeah. Society says you need to sacrifice the whole for the part. I'm yeah. not saying the part is not important. It yeah. is. But anybody understands at a basic level that you every part has to sacrifice for the whole. Yeah. And I think that's the key when it comes to serving yeah. in that sense. Yeah, that's really good. And we, we have words here from, I'm sorry, we have words here and from Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment that's greater than these. We left our people with this application. The greatest accomplishments for the kingdom of God begin at home. Yeah, it's guys. Kind of like what we were saying earlier, like change won't happen corporately unless it's applied individually. And I get it. We want to build wells in Africa. Yeah. And that jazzes us up. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to do that. But yeah. at Jesus's basic words, yeah. if you did a die, and I almost did this Sunday with a whiteboard, but if you just started drawing rings of circles in answering the question, who is my neighbor, yeah. and literally filled in the names, yeah. the first three rings are going to be people that live under your roof. Yeah. It yeah. starts there. Yeah. That's well, where it starts. Can we talk starts. about a few practical ways? Like if, if we're, let's talk about a family unit and then maybe work our way out from there to like widowed or singled or divorced or yeah. matriarchs, patriarchs, empty nesters. What are some practical ways that like a husband, a husband, a husband, a husband can serve his wife or a wife or husband? Like, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I think when I talk to premarital couples, one of the things is they, they have a list of kind of chores that would happen in the daily task of a home, and I have them mark, this is what I would like to do, this is what gives me energy, this is what I hate, and then I just kind of assess it, and we look at it, and we go, okay, what can you do that she hates, and yeah. what can you do that he hates? Mm. And when that gets done in the home, what's so important is you're not doing it just to get it done. Yeah. You're doing it as an act of service, yeah. not only to that person, but as unto the Lord. Yeah. And so when you come home and one of your things is, I don't want to call DirecTV about the satellite, and you come yeah. home and the satellite's taken care of, you're like, dang, man, yeah. they did that for me. I yeah. didn't have to do that today. That yeah. is super rad. Yeah. Like I think it's those types of things, but they all begin at a communication and expectations level. Yeah. And so I think that's what needs to be clarified is, yeah. what are your expectations yeah. here when it comes to that. That's good. What does servanthood look like in singleness? Yeah, man. So the Apostle Paul, and I'm really excited about that, the Apostle Paul would actually say, if you're single, um, you should be serving more. Mm. God has given you the gift of a season of yeah. singleness or singleness as a gift, and we'll get into that. Um, and so he says that you are able now to do 
so much more of yeah. what somebody who might have to clock out at five o'clock yeah. needs to go home and take care of these things. You are able to do that. And so I would say this, in singleness, the season is about preparation, not exploration. Yeah. So oftentimes singles think, oh, I'm single, I get to explore wrong. Yeah. It's about preparation and it's about service now, yeah. being able to the best use of your time, all of those things. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we're creeping on the last one here. Yep. We've got holy, obedient, united, serving, and then everyone, everyone. First Peter chapter 2, 16 and 17 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And here it is, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. And he even says, honor the emperor. Right. Like everybody. Yeah. What? what in what ways can we as believers, um, whether we are parents of young children or uh, all of the categories we've mentioned beforehand, in what ways can we include or honor or love everyone out of the outflowing of our, fa- of our family being a foundation? Yeah, I think number one, God uses the family to bless the world. Yeah. There's only a few institutions that God has very clearly defined and yeah. clarified roles in. And so when he comes to Abraham, he says, from your family, I'm going to bless the world. Yeah. So that you know, denotes everyone just in that sense. Yeah. But I think that when you know, the dad is apologizing to the 10-year-old about losing his temper... I think what we're seeing is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, dad needs the same grace that dad is praying for you. When I pray at night for Roman to be a tough man to take on the world, but tender enough to love people, I also pray God make me that man as well. And I want him to hear that. And so it's everyone. It's a mutuality. There's no hierarchies in this sense. And then not to mention in the danger of favoritism. Yeah. I mean, we see families in the scriptures that they were kids were favored over other kids. Yeah. And if you want to spend a lot of money on a therapist when you grow <laughs> up, you just favor one kid over oh, the other man. and yeah. crazy stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a plethora of yeah. things. Well, and every human is created in the image and likeness of God. Amen. I think one of the dangers that we can, one of the dangerous buses or trains we can hop on is the one that's the us versus them. Yep. And sowing that uh, can sowing that in your family or in the environment that you're in right now can be one of the most dangerous things you can do to either your kids or yourself. Yep. Because it removes you from from the spectrum of unholiness and sin and just lays that on others and that's just awful workspace righteousness but i love this acronym i love the the dedication that we've given to our people to sign that we took one home we're getting our kids to sign it this week and kind of scribble their names and stuff but i love it um i want to close us out uh, with the big idea and then i want to read the fullness of the passage where jesus prays for unity from the high priestly prayer in john 17 but the big idea was every family must define who they are and declare where they are going. We want to charge you with that and ourselves as well. Let's know what we're about and know where we're going and do it for Jesus because it's all about Jesus and with Jesus. John chapter 17, words of Jesus, verses 20 and 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Mm. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Man, I'm loving this series. Let's be honest. Every time you hear I and you and you and me and we are all together, (laughs) that's all I hear every time. Uh, That's all I hear. Jesus is the influence for the greatest songs of all time. (laughs) He is the ultimate muse. What do we got coming up this weekend, man? Uh, This weekend, we and a team of our leaders and board members are all going to be in Atlanta. Yeah, we we are. We are going to Summit, which is a a once annual thing that our Grace family puts on and that we get to come out and our leaders get to get served and kind of be in it. We're excited. We have been been a part of the Grace family now for all almost a year. Yeah. Um, if you come up on, uh, what is it? Pente- eight-ish months, something like that. Pentecost last year, and we're coming up on, on uh, yeah, I think we're about eight months. But yeah. the better part of a year, and this is the first time that our people, our leaders, and our board as a whole will get to go and experience yep. the Grace family. So we're real excited about that. With that, many of us will be gone this weekend. However, we still have a gathering on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Yep. The building will be unlocked. Uh, I've already talked with somebody. There's going to be coffee, so you can yeah, there drink is. You some coffee. Uh, we'll have a board member there that will be able to greet you, to welcome you, and you can come and sit in the chapel and actually watch a pre-recorded live stream service yep. that will be up on the projector. And if you can't make it on Sunday, um, you can also watch that from the comfort of your own bathroom or bedroom or home or wherever you got your smartphone or TV. There you go. If you got a TV in your bathroom, we got problems. Wow. Um, <clears throat> That was an 80s or 90s thing, right? For sure, dude. I remember my aunt had one in her bathroom and in the kitchen. Yeah. And I was, I think the one in the kitchen's probably a little bit normal, but man, I remember Aunt Do you remember the first portable TVs? With the antenna? The antenna? Absolutely, dude. Dude, my parents had a bag phone, a car car (laughs) bag phone. Oh, the car phone. And all it was was never, <laughs> never make a phone call. If this comes off the receiver, I owe $10. <laughs> yes. You are not touching this thing. It's yes. for emergency zone. Then why do you have it in your car? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I, as far as I know, that's what we've got coming up. Um, I love we've got it. got the third week of New Year, New Family, so yep. you're not going to want to miss that. Join us on the live stream or come to the gathering and say hello to some people and then sit in the pews and watch watch the pre-recorded live stream. Um, I think that's all we've got coming yep. up. So that's it. Join us. Uh, join us next next week where we will continue, not this coming week, but the following week, continue into new year, new family. We're going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff from marriage to singleness and parenting and all of that good gravy. It's going to be awesome. Love this series and I hope that you can pass it on, share it. You can listen to this podcast right now, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or you can join our live stream online on Facebook and I think that's pretty much it. So you also, got else for if, our people? yep, if you have not signed up for community yes. groups, you can go to our website at yep. Westside pb.org. Yep. Technically the signups are over and you are now banished from all community. <laughs> no, but you can go in there. There's a tab that says community yeah. groups, little form to fill out, best yeah. night of the week, this, that, and the other. Yep. Um, and then we get that information and you'll be getting yep. contacted by a group leader. Those will be running from now until around Easter, a little bit after. Yep. And so get plugged into a group. Baller. And the last thing, if you have any questions that you ever want to ask us, please send them to info at westsidepb.org and we will answer them here, whether it's about Pastor Jason's tattoos yep. or my love for Arrested Development. There so you go. We love you guys, and may everything we say and do be all about Jesus. We will see you next time. Peace. <laughs>